Hello, you're listening to Renaissance Man, a podcast featuring my father, Philip Brunel, as he talks about the world of music. Let's start here. Um, back in 2017, 2018, and before, you were typically, as I recall, uh, you had diamond status on Delta Airlines. Was that correct? Right. Because you were going to Africa and Europe and China to right. consult with people on various projects related to singing, to choral singing. Is that correct? That is totally correct. And uh, so in the last, uh, what's your status now on Delta? Well, I haven't been flying lately, so I'm not sure what it is. Yeah. <laughs> when was the last time you got on an airplane? Well, no, I went to New York, but that was about two months ago. Yeah. yeah. So, so what, do you miss it? Do you miss flying on a jet plane? Well, I used flying as a good time to catch up on reading that needed to happen. So... So I love that part of it, and I, of course, miss some of the contacts with composers and performers that I always have done, but that'll come back. Yeah, okay. Um, well, we've been through a weird, crazy journey, and it, and it twists and turns, and I don't know if that journey around the pandemic is over yet, but it... It certainly has gone through some some major phases. So one of the interesting things about, um, for for I think for you, uh, in the context of being a choral director and and leading singers and things like that, was you know early on we recognized that COVID was airborne as a as a disease, and unfortunately singing uh, was seen as uh, one of the mechanisms by which uh, the disease could be transmitted. And so all of a sudden, a very human activity, you know, one of the first things that human beings likely ever did together, singing together, um, was this thing that we were not supposed to do. And, and I'm just curious, you know, like, how did you react to that? I mean, it, in a way it was, um, you didn't have any choice, but, you know, you, you make a living directing singers, coaching. That's who you are to some ex to a great extent. And now all of a sudden you can't do that thing uh, um, for, for health reasons. I'm just curious how you felt about that em emotionally. Well, of course, when it became obvious that we had to change direction on how we were going to have concerts and how we were going to sing in any way, uh, being Philip Brunel, my reaction was, okay, become creative and figure out how this can happen in a new way. Knowing that people had to be masked, knowing that there had to be separation, uh, and what are the opportunities that you might have to share music but in a new way, in a new dimension. And so the first thing I did was to tell all of the singers at Vocal Essence and at Plymouth Church, uh, I don't have the answer yet, but we are not going away. Singing 
and what we do is emotionally, <coughs> excuse me, is emotionally so important to all of us that I will figure out a way to make us continue to perform, to share music with other people. And so I began thinking about what are the things that could happen. So the first thing I thought about was that I could share through what we called musical moments, I could share the idea of a composer each day for nine or 10 minutes talking about uh, what this composer had written for Vocal Essence or Plymouth Church or both. And I thought it would be helpful for people who were therefore at home uh, to have a, to have a, an idea about a composer that would make it personal as opposed to just going to an encyclopedia and quoting some things about a birth and death dates of a composer. And so many of these composers were composers I had met and knew uh, about. And so that's what happened for me. And then that continued on during all of the pandemic so that it ended up with uh, about 290 composers that I did a program with. Now, yeah, I, I recall, I, I think I was there for most of them. You were there for all of them. <laughs> but but right, then, so, as far so that, as... So that's one way in which, you know, you're dealt a hand. Well, we can't sing. We can't, well, we can't sing together because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And so you shifted over to kind of a, um, call it thought leadership or, you know, a, a kind of a, 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 an educational perspective. Okay, well, let's talk about, let's learn about composers. Let's share you know, the, your vast understanding of, of composers from that angle. How did, how did um, let's focus on vocal essence first. How did, again, vocal, right, in the name, uh, and now all of a sudden, you know, we're, again, we're talking about a pandemic that is transmitted vocally, uh, or a, a disease that's transmitted vocally. How did vocal essence pivot? Uh, because all of a sudden now you can't put on shows, you know, in, in right. person. So what was the thought process there and how did the team, you know, deal with all of that? Well, the Vocal Lessons staff was, of course, very concerned and was wanting to know what health-wise was even going to be allowed for singers. And knowing what the rules were going to be and the conditions we began to figure out how can we continue to come together. And we found out, for instance, that we couldn't have people more than eight feet uh, close to each other. So there was eight to 10 feet apart. We couldn't have large groups of people together. Uh, we couldn't have a time together that lasted longer than say 45 minutes maybe an hour mm -hmm. before you had to have time for the air in the room to circulate. Right. So we had to think creatively through all of these different situations. Yeah, through the constraints, yeah. And then based on that, come up with how can we therefore put on a program uh, for uh, the audience that we could stream to everyone mm -hmm. in some way, shape or form. And starting with that, I said, okay, we can only have eight singers together. Well, let's take the ensemble. That's 
32 singers in the ensemble singers, so I'll have to put them in four groups. And the best will be to have each group singing different pieces, not mm -hmm. trying to blend two right. groups together. Right. So that's what we did. Uh, and then the question is, where could we do this? Right. And so we found that we were allowed to be in the atrium at Orchestra Hall to do it, because it's a big room and people could be spread Lots out of there. Space. But I didn't want to have four groups in the atrium because that's kind of, you know, just a, a very similar space for all four. So I said, well, let's put two groups there, obviously separated. You'd have an hour between groups and right. all of that. Yep. But then have the other two, I thought, up on the third balcony at Orchestra Hall is this mm. big, I, there's a big kind of open aisle area. Why don't we do something up there? Right. So that's what we did. So mm -hmm. we put two groups up there and two uh, in the atrium for this first one. Um, we so, so you ended up rethinking uh, your, what was it, 2020 season. Exactly. Um, focused on delivering through streaming, delivering virtually, but you ended up producing it. I mean, most of it. Right. right. Um, then we had to go out and find uh, videographers. Right. And we found, you know, a number of them. So then it was a question of which ones, uh, because videographers, let's face it, haven't done a lot photographing a choir. Right. And oh. so then you had to figure out which ones had sort of the skill set to right. do that kind of work, knowing what we were go wanting them to perform. Yeah, so the artistic temperament to, to think. So in a way, the pandemic kind of put the opportunity in front of you guys at, at Vocal Essence to think visually, mm -hmm. uh, uh, to Absolutely. think episodically, uh, to think kind of uh, ab about the way in which an audience views, not just hears the music, but views it and sees it and and seeing it on a screen versus seeing it in the room. Right. Interesting. Yeah, you, and, and likely you, you probably wouldn't have thought about those things if you, if you didn't have to. No, yeah. we would not. Right. Definitely not. And then when we came to Welcome Christmas, uh, we ended up teaming with TPT. Right. And Twin so Cities they, Public Television. Right. And they came in. And uh, that was a totally different experience. Uh, again, we were then by that time able to have, say, 12 or 16 singers in the space, mm -hmm. but still spread apart. Right. And of course, they were all masked all of this time right. as well. When we got to our third concert, then we, I thought, we need a new space. So again, visually. and. The IDS Center, downtown Minneapolis, mm -hmm. uh, has a wonderful big Giant crystal atrium. court. Yeah, yeah. And so we went there and I, you know, I just called them up and they had not had a group ever do anything there, right. but they were agreeable with mm -hmm. it. It's a huge space, but we used one part of that to make uh, that concert work. So, you know, you, you made lemonade out of lemons. Exactly. Right? Uh, and, and quite delicious lemonade, by the way, but um, do you think that the lessons you learned or kind of the, the solutions that you came with up with as a result of these constraints, will they carry forward? Do you see when you think now about programming and, and production, 
and execution in 2021 and 22, are you keeping in mind like, oh, let's think about how the cameras might interact with this, or let's think about how the streaming audience might react to that. Are those lessons that will carry forward? Well, they have to, because we know there's no going back. And the fact is gonna be that in the coming season, we can be in a space and we can sing, but we also know there's an audience that is beyond the Twin Cities who want to hear the programs and how can they hear it? Well, it's going to have to continue to be streamed. Mm-hmm. So we know we're going to have to be thinking both the audience here and the audience that is going to be uh, seeing it on uh, their screen. Right. And that's, a, again, an interesting shift that if it hadn't been for a pandemic, I'm guessing vocal lessons probably likely would never have considered. No, we have talked at times about how to expand the audience beyond the ones who can come to the concert, but this just forced us to have to come to that reality much sooner. Yeah, and it's, in a way, it it opens up, how does it affect the way you, does does it affect the way you think about um, the types of music that you perform or the way in which you perform it? To some extent, it does, uh, because you're also thinking about what visually uh, would be an interesting angle, knowing that now, with the coming season, we're talking about stationary cameras in mm-hmm. Orchestra Hall, mm-hmm. as opposed to this last season, we had movable cameras where people were right. wandering. So in that case, each uh, piece got recorded mm-hmm. three or four times, uh, and then different shots, different angles right. could could be done. You could do an edited production. Exactly. A, a Whereas now it's going to be, this is it. One take. You got it. Right. Um, so in a way, we're talking about resilience. Um, and I think we've seen in many industries, uh, you know, whether it's logistics or supply chains or customer service, um, you know, retail, definitely, um, a lot of pivots, a lot of shifting um, in, in the way that, you know, when I look at my friends who work in the automotive industry, um, we talk about the fact that you used to judge the kind of the, the vitality of a auto retailer by their parking lot. Oh, mm-hmm. look at, they've got all of the new vehicles there. Um, but we've shifted now because of constraints on chips and cheap metal, et cetera. Um, more and more people are ordering ahead. Right. Mm -hmm. So you don't buy the car on the lot anymore. You buy it online and it shows up later on. And that's a that's a new way of of thinking about that industry. Um, What's been the reaction from audiences? You know, because part of the other side of you all performing and and shifting the way that you perform, the audience had to shift too, right? Right. And so the audience is no longer sitting together, listening together. They're now at home, maybe in their pajamas, uh, maybe listening on a good speaker, maybe not so good speaker, maybe with headphones. Like, what have you heard from audiences in terms of their uh, reactions to and the way that they've embraced uh, choral singing? Well, the first thing was gratitude that we did not stop. Mm. Gratitude that we were continually trying to find ways to communicate music 
to them. Oh my word, we heard this loud and clear all the time. And then second was they loved the creativity that we brought to it to find ways to make it not just seem like a boring stand in front of a camera and just sing, but what could we do to enlarge the picture and make it more interesting for them as an audience? Wasn't that, uh, that's interesting because, you know, the stereotype of choral music and choral singing is kind of bland, uh, you know, large groups of people, everyone dressed the same, nobody moves, you know, unless it's a gospel piece, in which case you move back and forth, uh, you know. And, and, and now all of a sudden, you know, you had to shift from what amounted to like a physical presence, you know, theatrical mm-hmm. model to a local television news model. Yep. Right. You know, you, you, you could employ editing, mm-hmm. uh, which you could you could employ multiple takes and different angles. And, you know, in the same way that you could also force the audience to look you know, when I'm sitting in a, in a orchestra hall, I can look wherever I want, you know. Um, but when you present the same material through a camera, I can only look at the angle you present, mm-hmm. which provides a different context for a piece of music, yep. right? It, it, as, a, as a creative person, you have the additional ability of um, helping the audience see a very specific perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, thinking about resilience, um, how do you define the word? Like, how do you think about the idea of, of resilience and, and maybe focused through the lens of, of being a choral director? Well, I think that resilience, um, there's a number of aspects to it. Certainly one was... Uh, trying to infuse in the singers uh, the excitement of what they were doing for the camera. Understanding that since their mouths aren't seen, I kept urging and encouraging everybody, it's going to be your eyes oh, that will tell masked. the story. Right, yeah. They were masked. And so right. how do you show in your eyes the excitement and mm. beauty of what you're trying to do? So that became a big thing for us to try to see what we could do. Uh, and also, I think, just trying to find uh, the way in which they could understand that we are communicating in a different way now because of the fact that we are masked, that we are separated, and that we need to, at the same time, tell a story. Right. That's, that's uh, again, it's, it's fascinating that, in a way... You know, the old model was get a group of people together in a room and talk to them about pitch and phrasing, et cetera. And, and now the new model is, in addition to all of that, what are your eyes doing? Mm-hmm. In addition to all of that, thinking through, well, what will a camera see versus not see? You we know? had always talked about the importance of letting your eyes tell a story. Now it became really important because the mouth was covered. Yeah, with the mask and things like that. Huh. Um, you know, so, you know, setbacks, adversity, that's part of the human condition, right? right? Um, so I'm, I'm thinking through, you know, your musical career, you know, you're, you're at the Minnesota 
orchestra for a while. You were at Minnesota Opera for many, many years. You've been at Vocal Lessons in Plymouth for over 50. Um, you know, you've, fa- you've been surprised. You've faced setbacks. Do you think you have kind of a, what's your approach? I mean, life throws things at us. And looking back, do you notice any patterns that, that you, you Philip, kind of employ when, oh, all of a sudden, you know, I'm hearing some themes from you, but I'm curious if you recognize them in yourself. Well, I would say, first of all, when something comes at you that you are not expecting, don't panic. Panic will get you nowhere except down a path you don't want to go. Um, I'll give you an example. So probably about 30 years ago uh, at the Ordway, I had arranged for this phenomenal Swedish opera tenor named Nikolai Geda. Big name, had sung all over the world, had never been in the Twin Cities. Hmm. But I had worked with him in Sweden. And so I said, I would love to have you come and do a concert and there would be a few numbers uh, with, uh, it would be accompanied by orchestra, a few numbers with the chorus, but with you. He would love to do that. So we had it all arranged. He was flying over first class, ready to come to the Ordway for this concert. The week of the concert, he emailed or called and said, I have a terrible, terrible case of the flu. I am canceling. (laughs) And you're like, First of all, you think, who can I replace Nikolai Geda with? The answer was no one. Okay, that's taken care of. Now, what do we do about the people who have bought tickets? What do we do about the orchestra who are all hired and have a two-week minimum, so we have to pay them uh, for doing something? Right. Yeah, because otherwise they, they could have taken other, other work. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And so you go, hmm, well, since I will not just say, oh, well, let's give up and right. go away. No. Uh, <laughs> I knew the concert was canceled, so the folks at Vocal Essence helped to get the word out that right. the concert wasn't happening. Uh, for the orchestra, I thought, hmm, what can we do? Ah, uh, the... Mall of America had just opened mm. a few months before. And I thought, you know, so I called the American Composers Forum. Mm. And I said, do you have uh, music for orchestra that by young composers that you've not had a chance to perform or even that the composers have not had a chance to hear. Right. So I'm talking about that you have the parts for the orchestra as well. Yes, we do. We have a bunch of them. I said, great. So then (laughs) I have an orchestra. (laughs) Exactly. So then I called up the Mall of America. I said, hey, would you like a free concert? And they said, we would love that. Great. So we went out to the Mall of America in one of the big... Rotundas, yeah. ...areas. Yeah. And... uh, announced uh, um, we we did a concert of new music by Minnesota composers and did the and was this sight read uh yes oh that's so that's interesting too right so you've got so for the composers hey this is the first time i get to hear other people playing my my music 
and sight read. Right. And, and for the players, it, there's always kind of an interesting challenge of like, ooh, we're sight reading new stuff. Right. And I thought, you know, we can do this. And I thought it's going to be a a benefit for the composers oh, to yeah. hear their music. Yeah, of course. A benefit for the audience right. to hear some new music by Minnesota composers, mm -hmm. and a way in which I could justify that I had paid the players right. by doing something right. with the money that had to go to them. Right. And so it was a it was a win in every way. Right. So you know, when things like this do happen. Uh, you simply have to think, okay, as I said, don't panic. Just think creatively. What can I do to make this work? Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm curious, given your network in Europe and Africa and, and Asia with other, what are you hearing from other choral directors uh, about what have they been doing uh, during the pandemic to, to pivot, to react? And how are they being resilient? Well, they're doing it in many different ways. Uh, some are doing things like streaming, like we've done. Some have done uh, where you had everyone record on Zoom, mm -hmm. and then you put together, as you've seen those things, right. where suddenly you see 50, name, 50 faces on a screen, right. and they've put that all together, which is hugely time-consuming. As, an, as a video editor, I can tell you it's a pain in the neck. Yeah. Anyway, I didn't want to do that. Yeah. Uh, I didn't want to do it partly because I said, oh, that's kind of, in a way, though it's new, it's old hat. Yeah. It's sort of what people are expecting, and right. I didn't want that. Yeah. Uh, but that's another thing that's happened all over the world. Yeah. Some people have been more creative with it, right. but it is hugely time-consuming, whatever you do. In a way, I mean, Eric Whitaker was doing it. Eric was long doing ago. it. He, Eric was doing it a long time ago, and in fact, he has told me that when I brought him to Minneapolis 15 years ago, that was sort of the first time mm. he figured out what he then made into an international uh, phenomenon. Right. Yeah. So, kind of what I'm hearing is that choirs are are continuing to sing, but are reshaping and rethinking the nature of performance. Exactly. And, you know, as we look forward to the coming season, we will, uh, as we know, uh, again, depending on the pandemic and depending on what we are allowed to do, we are hopeful that we will be singing in person, uh, most likely separated some, maybe not as much as we had to be before, mm -hmm. um, most likely not with masks, but the audience might be with masks, yeah. you know? So all of those things are flexible, but we will work through them. We will find a way, because music is such a wonderful way to communicate with people, we won't let it go away. And so we will figure out how we can, given the strictures that we have, right. how can we make music continue to come alive? Because people are hungry to hear music. They always, this has been something for centuries. So it hasn't changed, and we want to find a way that we can continue to provide that kind of joy and that kind of excitement for the audience. Yeah. Who, who taught you? Where did you learn to become resilient? I probably became resilient. Um, I always remember when my father 
died on Christmas Day, and I was 13, second oldest of five kids. And Christmas morning, uh, we were about to open gifts, and he's lying on the couch, had a heart attack in front of us, and died. Oh. Huh. Um, and I can remember after the funeral, my mother pulled the five of us kids together and said, well, I don't know how this is going to work. It's going to be an adventure, and God will provide. Here we go. And so there was never any, oh, woe is me at all. Yeah. We just simply had to become resilient, yeah. to use your word, and creative. And I think it started with that for hmm. me. Um, and I just tried to find as many different ways that I could to continue being creative and figuring out how I could make uh, my life, I knew it was always going to be music, so how could I try to make my life in music uh, speak to as many people as possible? I think that's a, um, a profound place to stop. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Well, there you have it. We are back, back with Renaissance Man. It's been well over a year since we recorded our last episode. Uh, there was been a pandemic. And during that time, Philip and I decided to pivot into the realm of video. And as he mentioned, we produced a series called Musical Moments, which you can find on YouTube or Facebook. Uh, just look for Vocal Essence or Plymouth Church, and you can find several hundred uh, little brief biographies of composers who live today and who lived a long time ago and learn about their connections with both Vocal Essence and Plymouth Church. So we are back and we plan to continue to record more episodes of Renaissance Man and talk about the entrepreneurial thinking uh, required of choral directors, music directors, uh, and talk about improvisation. Uh, we're going to talk about working with composers. We're going to talk about working with boards of directors, uh, the whole nonprofit music gig. So stay tuned, and we promise to continue to put more episodes out there. Thank you for listening. <laughs>